Hi, I'm Otto. Welcome to Aaron Sarah's podcast. I'm excited for this one, Phil. As am I. Liz Whitman. She is the founder of Exponent Beauty, changing the game, creating serums that are the most potent uh, on the market. I don't know what these words mean, but <laughs> she is quite smart and quite impressive and has a, a very interesting and very relevant background to what she's building now. Yeah, I think there are a lot of takeaways for people who are entrepreneurs, who want to be entrepreneurs, who are looking to change careers. I think that there's something for everyone in this episode. So. And I think people are going to learn a lot about skincare, like things about skincare that they probably took for granted before. And uh, definitely things that they will be shocked to find out. I agree. Get ready to throw out basically all of your moisturizers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. Thanks again to Sakara for sponsoring this episode. Okay. We talk about Sakara all the time and uh, Jordan is coming to stay with me starting Sunday night. She emailed me today saying, just so you know, my Sakara meals are being sent to your house and being delivered because Jordan cannot go for even a few days without eating her Saqqara food. I currently am drinking a lot of the Saqqara metabolism powder. It tastes very chocolatey. It really helps me with my bloating and uh, weight management. And so Saqqara is just, it's clean, healthy, organic, plant-rich meals. They have fantastic nutritional programs. You can choose to focus on whatever you need. You can target what you're looking for, like dissolving different health concerns, weight management, digestion problems. Um, it's all ready to eat. It's all delicious. They have their flexible signature nutrition program. It makes it like very, very easy. I can't speak more highly about Saqqara. I mean, we're just living proof that we love it because we eat it all the time. So Saqqara brings expertly designed organic nutrition programs and wellness essentials right to your door. They're science-backed, ready meals deliver results that you can see and that you can feel from weight management and easing bloat to boosting energy and clearer skin. Right now, Saqqara is offering our listeners 20% off your first order when you go to saqqara.com slash foster or enter the code foster at checkout. That is Saqqara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash foster to get 20% off your first order. Saqqara.com slash foster. Okay, well, guys, we're very excited. So um, Liz Whitman is, I don't know, like, I want, I want you to tell us about a little bit about yourself, your journey in the beauty space. I tell people you're like a serial operator, but maybe that's not actually right, but I think it is. No, that's definitely right. Yeah. You, you hit the nail on that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we met Liz and we'll get into, you know, like we'll get into the weeds of exactly how, but just really quickly, um, Founders Fund is a, um, it's a venture capital business. It is pretty much everything they uh, put their finger on. You go, you want to take it, you want to take it seriously. You want to take a look at it. So we got a call from someone at Founders saying, we really believe in this founder. We believe in her mission. We believe in what she is um, creating with her business exponent. And we would, we, we think you guys, it would be like a real nice, um, match. So anything that screams, um, anti-aging skincare, I, you know, I'll try anything basically. And, 
So this had my name specifically written all over it. So we're going to get into Exponent and what it is and why it's different and all the things. But that's kind of how we met. It was an incoming call from Founders Fund. Someone over there who we respect very much said, you have to meet her. You have to meet her. And um, that's how we met. So Liz Whitman is here. Liz, tell us just, um, before we go into Exponent, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, thank you. Yeah, I, uh, I've i been in the beauty industry for most of my career. Um, and you're absolutely right, as an operator, um, both as an entrepreneur who exited, as a corporate executive, uh, and in a variety of roles, both on the beauty services side, the beauty retail side, and the beauty brand side. So feel very fortunate to have had a number of different experiences that all sort of come into play and are relevant to what we're building together now. Um, most recently, I was the president of The Red Door by Elizabeth Arden, so the largest national salon and spa retailer. Um, obviously, Elizabeth Arden as a brand has been around for a long, long time. She essentially uh, started an incredible beauty company uh, in this country before women had the right to vote, which is kind of an incredible story. Uh, not one that I think the brand tells enough of, but that's a separate uh, separate uh, conversation. Um, anyway, I got to the red door actually after it acquired my last startup, uh, which was called Manicube. Manicube was a B2B2C beauty services company. So going into corporate offices to offer working women and men 15-minute manicures, massage services, and hairstyling services uh, in office. Uh, and we scaled that business over three and a half years, sold it to the Red Door in the fall of 2015. Uh, and I ended up staying there for longer than I expected. They kept giving me more and more to do. Um, and it was just a wonderful opportunity to go from you know, a history of building brands as an entrepreneur uh, to taking, you know, an old heritage brand and trying to reinvent it. And um, so really sort of stretching uh, my skills there, which was great. And it was at the red door that I got really deep on skincare. Um, Arden's, you know, history is is very much in aesthetics. Uh, and in my role, I was spending a lot of time with our master estheticians, these fantastic women who have been doing facials and, you know, looking at the newest products and the newest technologies for decades uh, and learning from them. And so that's really where I had the aha moment for Exponent. We were just talking to um, the uh, 10 beauty guys who, I don't know if you've, do you know them? I guess. I don't know them, no. But you know of them, right? It's 10 beauty. It's the robotic um, manicure. And yep. we were mm -hmm. talking about this idea that to become a founder, to become an entrepreneur, like you A, don't have to, and B, most people can't just quit their day job and then just go and like go 24 seven to, to build this thing. Like there really is a way in the beginnings to work weekends, to work nights. It's not ideal. It's not ideal if you're a parent, but like it is possible um, to, and in most cases, like a must. Most people need an income will also then, because I think a lot of people listening are like, but how do I even start? How do I even begin? Like, how do I quit my job? It's like, well, you don't have to. Like, you don't have to. Um, so, okay. So you had the idea of exponent while at the red door. I had, I had this like insight from the red door that then I went and did some research on a couple of years later. So I can kind of take you through that trajectory. Basically at the red door, um, there was this one moment where I was at our fifth Avenue flagship. I was getting a facial from our star esthetician, Nina, 
Uh, and she was, you know, going a mile a minute telling me all about the different products and the protocols and why we do what we do. And she spent a lot of time telling me why we mix our serums and our masks and our treatments fresh before applying them to guests. And the reason is that active ingredients in skincare, i.e. the good for you stuff, uh, degrades rapidly once exposed to air and light. And so I was sitting there, she's talking, she's talking, and it's just swirling in the back of my brain, which is, if that's true, how effective can pre-mixed retail skincare products actually be? And it was kind of like that cognitive dissonance of like, oh, you don't actually want to know the dirty secret um, in the industry. And so it's circling in the back of my head. And I'm embarrassed to say I didn't do anything with it for a few years. So fast forward two years, uh, I ended up stepping down from my role to move to San Francisco. Uh, my husband took a job out here and uh, I had some time on my hands. So to your point about when do you make the leap and why do you make the leap? Uh, and so I had some time to figure out what I wanted to do next. And the question was, would I go back into corporate America or would I do something with this? Um and so step one of my journey, I just couldn't like get it out of my head. Like, have I been selling products that are over-promising and under-delivering? Because that's a really shocking thing. So I made the decision to just answer the question, how big a problem is this really? So I didn't set out to start a skincare brand. I started out just trying to understand what was going on. Right. As women, Phil's like, Phil's probably never used like moisturizer in his life. Do you I use skincare? What's skincare? Right, I exactly. use Dove soap. Please. He's okay. So <laughs> Phil is Phil's just we're we're educating him. Okay. No, no, I'm learning a ton right men, now. Men, here's the thing. Good skincare, active skincare can change your skin. Like period, the end in all senses. It can take away fine lines, discoloration. It can truly change your skin. You don't need to go do all these fancy treatments and all these things that people do. Fine. Yes, those are okay, fine, but good skincare, active skincare can literally give you the skin of your dreams. So when this came to us, and when we started hearing, you know, these, these um, the testing that Liz was doing in this company that she was building, we were like, wait a minute. So you're telling us that your research and all the money that, because let's be clear, these studies are fucking expensive, to, right? Very expensive. Yes, very yes. much so. <laughs> so you found that essentially all the products that we've been putting on our face, most likely, yes, there are some that are better than others and we can go into that or not, are not active. We're basically just like putting things on our skin that have expired and that are no longer potent. And so that was shocking to us. That was like, wait a minute, what? And then you start kind of going like, well, yeah, that one $300 cream that I've been using, I don't really notice like it says it's supposed to do this. We're like, I don't my skin's looking pretty dull. It's not really doing anything. So Aaron and I were like, okay, well, we would like to own a little piece of this company. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and your experience is just so common, right? We're, we're all sort of what I like to say on the hunt for delicious, right? And um, we're trying a bunch of products. You and I are both, you know, obsessed with skincare, Sarah. So I know you've been trying a ton of stuff. Um, and the reality is it's kind of an insurance policy, right? You're like, I don't know if it's doing anything for me, but I don't want to wake up in 20 years and regret not trying. And that's what the majority of consumers in the clinical skincare category are sort of thinking. Um, and that's why they're switching all the time too, right? Looking for stuff that will actually work. Uh, and so having been, you know, a part of the problem for as long as I have, this is sort of my penance uh, for having sold a lot of these products. Uh, and I really set out on what ended up being a very, very 
long journey to try to come up with a product form factor and invent something new that would actually be effective. Yeah, and it's interesting because you know one of the things I know that you and Aaron talk about a lot when you're you know considering investing in something is not just um, not just a product that's interesting and obviously a great founder, but something that's innovative. Yeah. And so you know, Liz, just having spoken to you, you know, I know that like you have had to innovate along the way to accomplish your objective because you know just saying okay, I've I've identified this problem, the key ingredients in skincare basically lose their efficacy very fast. So now I've got to figure out a system to deliver efficacy to the end consumer. Talk a little bit about what you had to build to accomplish that. Great question, yeah, Phil. Thank you. Thank you um, and Phil, yes, it has been a very, very tough problem to solve, it turns out. <laughs> if, if everyone could do it, everyone would, I would hope. Um, so it's been about a three-year R&D journey uh, to bring Exponent to light. Um, and the reason for that is that our innovation is pretty complex. So the innovation is in our form factor. So what we've done is created antioxidant powders that are mixed fresh with a hyaluronic acid in our beautiful dispenser packaging uh, to create serums that are clinically proven to work. So that sounds simple enough. It turns out it's not, right? So doesn't even sound that, doesn't even sound that simple. I have to be honest with you. Okay. It might sound simple to you, but <laughs> well, certainly not to me. You. Yes. I mean, turns out getting a powder and a liquid to mix into something you actually want to put on your face is quite complex, right? And so our formulas went through about 50 different iterations over the course of two years. We had top chemists and product developers working on that problem. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but to be clear, like when I first heard the pitch, powders, I was like, no, no, that's not going to work for me. Like automatically, I'm like, that'll be drying. I don't wear powder at all. Like even as in makeup form, I hate powder. So my first instinct was like, okay, what? Like what's what's the catch here? Like, of course, like that was my first thought. Let me just tell you ladies, it is the most moisturizing, supple, like concoction I can't even begin to explain to you. So I'm just saying, if you're here listening, going powder is skincare. What powder's drying? Powder's this. It's the opposite of that. It is the most the the hyaluronic and the powders combined are the most moisturizing, um, plumping uh, beauty products I have ever used. So continue. Thank you. Continue. That, and I know you've used a lot, so that means the uh, yeah. world to us. Yeah. And. And it took a lot of time to figure out how to get it to that consistency. Yeah. So the final serum has that like gel-like texture to it. It's not a super watery one. It's got this sort of silky effect um, as you put it on. And yes, super hydrating. You literally wash your lines. Like you wash the marionette. What do you call it? Marionette? Marionette? What are those lines called? Marionette lines? Whatever. You watch them disappear. You put the vitamins, because people ask all the time, like, what do you do? What do you do? And I'm somebody who... I take such pride in, you know, skin and beauty, but I'm not out there doing crazy shit. I'm not doing the crazy lasers. I'm not doing the threads. I'm not doing like, I'm actually quite minimal. I invest in really good skincare. Okay, fine. Like I'll do a little Botox here and there, but that's it. Like I'm not, I don't filler. I'm not, actually that's a lie. I did filler in my temples. No, no, this is crazy. <laughs> Sorry. I did, someone told me like, oh, cause I was like, I do fillers weird. I already have kind of like a, what do you call it? Like a bloated face as it is. I don't need more filler. I don't need any filler. Um, someone said, if you put it in your temples, so I just want to be transparent. I do have filler in my temples. Anyways, um, I am someone who really does 
just invest in the skincare. So the two ingredients that I and people ask me all the time, if you were going to just pick two things, what are they? And I say vitamin C and retinol. And these are the two things that you do best, that Exponent does best. Continue. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Vitamin C. So we have five serums. We have a vitamin C, we have a retinol, we have a CoQ10, we have a resveratrol, and we have an enzyme. And so they're all clinically tested to help with fine lines and wrinkles. And then each one will have an additional benefit on top of that. By far, best sellers are vitamin C, which people tend to use in the morning, uh, and retinol, which people tend to use at night. Well, vitamin C builds collagen, like, right? Like, let's just say when you age, your collagen breaks down. It's what makes you look fucking old is not having collagen in your skin. So vitamin C and vitamin C, I would say has changed my skin. Like vitamin C has really like, Bill's looking at me going, oh, are you sure about that? <laughs> Listen, I had I COVID. I'm not judging. I had COVID. I'm not judging. I, I, I had a COVID. It's been a rough couple of weeks. Um, but vitamin C it actually does build your collagen. I don't think I don't think everybody knows that. Yeah. Well, and and one of the bigger parts of sort of skin aging, of course, is like very similar to this whole longevity kind of conversation that's happening out there, which is so fascinating to to parallel watch. But essentially, free radicals um, break down the skin, right, and break down elastin, etc. So the beauty of antioxidants, which are what all of these vitamin derived ingredients are. Uh, is that they fight free radicals and so can actually both prevent but also correct the effects of aging. And I think people too are listening, they're like, oh yeah, okay, cool, vitamin C, we know, right? There's a million vitamin Cs that you can go and get. And without throwing any other brands under the bus, in our early conversations, you were like, what skincare do you guys use? Like, I'll let you know. Some of them, you know, I'll let you know the ones that where the efficacy is where it should be for it to actually work. And I'll let you know the ones that are literally inactive after a week. So we went through it and I was pretty bummed to come to, you know, to, to come to the realization that a lot of the vitamin C's that I was using a few years ago were basically just totally inactive. Yeah. And it's, it sucks for me to be like the Debbie Downer all the time with this news. (laughs) You are not the only person who has like looked at me with this face of disappointment. Um, when we've gotten to talking about our research um, but you know, at the end of the day, I just, I don't want people shelling out whether it's $20 or $200, you know, for something that they think is going to do more than it actually will. Um, and so that is very much, you know, our mission. Um, vitamin C is an incredible ingredient. It's super unstable. And so our whole thing is like, let's take tried and true ingredients. Vitamin C and retinol have been around for decades. They've been clinically tested. They have good proof points. Um, but let's just make sure we're innovating on form factors so that they're actually being delivered um, in the appropriate way. And then while we're at it, let's actually do clinical testing on our products. You wouldn't believe the number of brands that don't invest in that. It's like, we need the proof points. We need to see the results. We need to make sure that we're actually delivering those benefits. So talk a little bit about the device that you created to deliver uh, deliver the product. Also, if you're not seeing results from your vitamin C, I would say, Liz, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, in about like two, three weeks, if you're not looking in the mirror going, wow, those lines are a little bit more chill. Oh, I'm a little bit more plump. If you're not feeling that or seeing that after a couple weeks of vitamin C, guess what? Your vitamin C ain't active. Because yeah. vitamin C, you should 
and you do with your product, you see it. You look in the mirror after even a couple days going, I feel a little bit plumper. Those lines look a little bit more chill. And if you're not, your shit's inactive. That's that's absolutely correct. And I think the best part of my job is just reviewing customer testimonials and people talking about drastic visible results in that one to two week mark. Um, and so they are seeing it, they know it's working, and that is absolutely the standard you should hold any product to. I encourage folks, you know, separate from exponent, but just in general, to always do a before and after photo. You don't have to share it on social or anything else, but like prove it to yourself, right? Um, hold yourself accountable to to really seeing if this is working or not and, and hold that product accountable as well. Okay, so to Phil, we need to get into the device quickly though. Retinol yeah. and vitamin C should be used together, correct or not? It's it's a great regimen to pair them, um, but I would suggest using vitamin C in the morning and retinol at night. So not um, so only vitamin C in the morning, never at night. Uh, you could use vitamin C at night. The problem is that you're not getting the full benefit of it. So remember, I said it helps fight free radicals. Yeah, it'll actually supercharge your SPF uh, if you use it in the morning. Um, and so you'll still get the brightening effect. You'll still get the fine lines and wrinkles effect if you use it at night. You just won't get that like extra added benefit in the morning. So it's totally safe to use it whenever you want. Um, but that would be the optimal time. Retinol do not use in the morning. Should never be used in the morning. It makes you very sensitive to light. Can I ask one question before we get into my other question on the device? The average person out there is buying a product, using it for how long on average and and how long do the ingredients typically stay active within their product? So they're going out, they're buying some, you well, know, some skincare products. Most people have their moisturizer on their counter for like six months to a year. That's yeah, what I'm it, just, I'm, I'm, I would imagine most people have it sitting there far, far longer than, you know, that, you know, after the point at which it's degraded significantly. What, what are, what are, what do the stats say? Yeah. So, I mean, the average length of time that somebody expects to use like a one ounce serum dropper bottle, which is for the most common uh, volume, is usually about three to four months. Um, and the reality is that the active ingredients degrade so fast that you're losing about half in a six week period. So for the majority of the time that you intend to use it, um, it's it's really just not delivering the benefit that it needs to. And that's, of course, just assuming it started out with enough in there to actually do anything for your face to begin with. Think about that, though, you guys, for a second. Like, the beauty industry is so fucked up. Like, that we're allowed to market these, like, $200, $300, $400 inactive uh, creams, serums, cleansers, whatever it is, like— the beauty industry should be more regulated. Like, it's really not, it's really fucked up. I'm just picturing drinking, like, you know, milk two months after it expired. Oh, well, please don't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't, and like, don't come over here after I, I'm that. I'm just saying you certainly wouldn't do that. The idea that you would yeah, put it on your, do this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess it's not going to make you sick, but it's certainly not going to do the job. It's just misleading. I mean, it's just like, but look, people yeah. just don't know. Like, he, the consumer just doesn't know. We're only told so much. And we're fed all these ads and these, these you know, the, the beauty standard and, oh, this celebrity is using this, so I need to use it. And it's like, no one even stops to actually go, wait, like, does it work? Like, people just think, oh, Hailey Bieber put that serum on, so this will make me look like Hailey Bieber. It's bullshit. You're never going to look like Hailey Bieber. Yeah, and and it's absolutely right. I think my, like, hope for the future, this is, like, years down the road, 
But my hope for the future is that there is like a regulated standard for what can be considered clinical skincare. So within the skincare category, you've got these germ brands, you've got these professional channel brands, some are good, some are not, you know, um, but it's all marketing. And there's no like criteria for, okay, this product actually works and therefore can command this like clinical. How are you allowed uh, to be called clinical? What's the the standard? Like, how do you get... There's no, no standard, right? So it's just a marketing term and people can say clinical skincare. It's meant to be like a vague enough term to suggest it's professional. Maybe it's derm related. It's performance related. Um, there really isn't. And, and my bigger pet peeve is on clinical studies. So again, vast majority of products, even at the high end, don't necessarily invest in clinical studies. Or if they do, they actually invest in a lower level, which is consumer perception studies. Sarah, imagine I sent you something and said, stop using your other products, use my product, and then fill out the survey two weeks later saying whether or not you think your skin looks better. Is that like enough of a proof point to claim that, you know, all these subjects had this great effect? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. So we've done measured instrumentation on all of our formulas. And it's it's just consumers aren't there. They can't like totally read between the lines on these clinical results yet, but I'm really hopeful that one day we'll all get like really, really attuned to it. Because as soon as consumers start clamoring for real results, brands will have to do it. Okay. So how do you go, right? Device. How do you go from like, okay, we have a problem here. Skincare is not effective, right? Like the majority of the skincare is not effective. I now have a solve for that, right? We are going to figure out a way to deliver the most potent serums in the world. How do you go from we need that to like doing it? Yeah, <laughs> not easy. So step one, of course, was doing the research that we talked about and realizing that it's a much bigger problem um, and therefore one worth solving, in my opinion. Step two was, okay, what is the solution, right? What is the best way to go about this? Um, and so I went out and I talked to about 40 different chemists, about 20 different product developers to find the right people to work on this problem. Uh, it turns out, you know, a lot of these folks have been making a ton of the products that we tested, right? And so do they want to believe in the premise? Do they want to kind of go against the grain? Can they effectively think outside the jar, pun intended, right? And so that's a very special type of person. Uh, and so found two incredible folks who have worked on a number of dermatologist brands, a number of Korean skincare brands to come and work on this project with me. Um, so finding the right team was obviously critical. Uh, and then we started in on the form factor, on the powder and the liquid um, for the formulas. And as I said, that was like 50 different iterations to get that right. The other side of it was trying to figure out the experience right? We knew no one was going to mortar and vessel a bunch of stuff in their bathroom with powder flying around. It's a whole big mess. And so we knew we were going to need custom packaging uh, to help activate these powders and these liquids and to make it as convenient, easy, and clean as possible. Can I ask one question just in the middle? Yeah. At what point did you realize that, because you know, there's a recursive problem here, which is, okay, these things that are in the consumer's hands are degrading. Uh, if I just give them an earlier form of that product, the powder, how do I know that it doesn't degrade? Like, how do I know that the powder doesn't degrade once they have it in their in their hands? How did how did you kind of come upon that insight? How did you figure that out? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's just pure chemistry, right? So if it's powderized and it's not pre-mixed with water, it doesn't kick off the oxidation process. Now I will say there is one caveat, which is some of these ingredients are also just super sensitive to light. So powderizing will help it not oxidate because it's not mixed with water, but we also knew we were going to have to keep them in, you know, dark enclosed containers as well. Liz with the fancy words. And were you prepared for the chemist to be like, it's not possible? Or did you know it was possible? Uh, Yeah, no. So uh, like I was saying to Phil, we talked to 40 different chemists and there were a bunch who were like, "Uh, that's a really complicated problem to solve. Not, it's not possible, but I'm not necessarily the person who wants to be working on this for two years. So that was interesting as well. And, you know, in some ways frustrating, but on the other hand, I was like, okay, well, this is a sign that this is like complicated enough that if we do crack the code, uh, presumably we're onto something pretty special. Yeah, you're like, and then you didn't Sarah, say I was saying, you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I tend to hear it that way. Um, to be frank. So, um, definitely courted our chemist and our product developer, like really, really worked it, um, to convince them to kind of get on this project for sure. Um, and then of course, step two was what is the packaging experience, right? Um, we knew we wanted to make it as convenient and delightful as possible. Obviously, it has to be functional, but it should also be beautiful, all the things, right? So found an incredible team of industrial designers and engineers to start working on our packaging solution. Um, we knew no one was going to like scoop a bunch of powder into their hand and like powder flying around a whole big mess. We needed a way to dispense a precise amount of powder easily. So it turns out dispensing a precise amount of powder, super challenging, usually done with single-use disposable packaging in the pharma industry. Uh, and so we found industrial engineers who had pharma experience because that was obviously applicable to this um, and came together as a team to create our activator system. So this is really a dispenser. It's the world's sexiest dispenser, but it's a dispenser. It's not a device. It is not an electronic. It doesn't plug into a wall. There's no blender, no nothing. It really works like a salt grinder. So you have a bulk amount of powder in the top. You have your hyaluronic acid in your base. Uh, and by pushing down and twisting at the same time, you dispense a precise amount of powder, up pump a precise amount of liquid, And then that allows you to get a serum with a consistent, precise dose of active ingredients every single time. As we were working on this, you know, we realized, I mean, first of all, we invented it, right? It's patented. There's 22 different pieces and, you know, wheels and other things in there to make it work. Uh, And so to go through all that trouble of creating a completely new invention and a custom packaging solution, we decided to layer on one other design criteria, which is we wanted to make it refillable. So the whole system, you buy it once, you can reuse it over and over again. And then our refills come in glass jars with aluminum caps, uh, which are the only infinitely recyclable materials out there. And so for our efforts at eliminating plastic waste, we actually were certified as a B Corp even prior to launch. So it was a complicated project for a number of reasons. Precision dosing of powder, really hard to do getting, you know, the system to be convenient and easy. And then of course, with this sustainability layer on top. And then at the last, you know, mile, uh, you get something that's working and it's functional and you're happy with it. And you say, okay, I want to make it beautiful, right? I just want to make it mouthwatering. I want it to be counterworthy, everything else. And so that's when you come in with design decisions on materials and colors uh, and, and 
actually, and Sarah weighed in on a bunch of our colors as well uh, in that design process. So thank you for that. Yes. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, we want things that work and we want it to be head-led and clinical, but we also want to have an emotional connection to the things that we have, right? It's very Marie Kondo. I want you to use fewer items, but I want them to bring you joy. Also, like as a consumer and investor, frankly, my first thought too, not my first thought, but one of the first few thoughts was, is this time consuming? I don't have fucking time. Like, you know, these were the questions like before seeing the device and seeing that, you know, understanding and doing, having the experience. It was like, I don't need another step. My mornings are insane. I I can't, anything that's going to be a a pain, I'm not going to do. Guys, this is... This is literally the same experience as uh, un, you know, undoing the lid for this, grabbing this, grabbing your little, a lot of these new serums and creams have little spoons that you use. Like it is no different than it is. It takes literally, there's no uh, extra time is my point. So that was huge for us as an investor, because look, you're, you know, you're writing a check. You're, and then in our case, you know, you're, it's your name. It's your, it's your, you're talking about these things. Like our audience trusts us. So when we're telling our audience, do this, try this, we get yelled at if people don't have a good experience. And so we are very careful with what we get behind. And, and we saw the device and we were like, Oh, this is, we couldn't have hoped for a more seamless experience. It's very easy, but I do think like people who are listening might be like, well, what is this? Is it, how much time is this going to take? It is, it's, it's as simple as you can imagine. And also the system comes with hyaluronic acid. So the, the other piece to this whole puzzle is the most potent hyaluronic serum also, which people pay top dollar to just buy that separately. And it's part of this whole process, which I always say to you, I'm like, your hyaluronic is so freaking good. I would just buy that without even anything else. Like I would, it's so good. Totally. Yeah. And I think, I think you're glomming onto something that like people probably don't give us credit for at this point, but like it really is a two in one, right. Um, With our system. Uh, and, and the hyaluronic is beautiful. Thank you for that. And that's what creates that sort of silky hydration, uh, feel that you were talking about earlier. Um, which, which is huge. Uh, yeah, you know, look, it's a totally new way of doing this, right? And so if you're looking at our solution and at our exponent system, and you're thinking about a dropper bottle, like, yes, it is going to look like it's going to be more challenging. And it's just not like, total time expenditure. We've done a million tests of like running people side by side, applying stuff. And it's exactly the same amount of time. You do it once or twice and then you've mastered it. And then it's just like old hat. Literally. It's so simple. It is so, so worth it. Okay. So how do you go about, um, a handful of people wrote in being like, are you scared people will steal this idea? So talk to, talk to people. People don't understand probably like proprietary, what that even means in this industry. And and, um, how does that work? How can you keep ownership to these um, formulas? Yeah. Well, so first of all, the fact that it's a pretty difficult problem to solve, having lived it, um, gives me, you know, some some, uh, pause on like how easy it would be for somebody else to replicate it. Um, you know, we, we have patents on all of our systems. So on the packaging, of course, utility patent on that, 
We also have a patent actually on the formula itself. So this idea of a lock and key relationship between the powder and the liquid. So two separate items become a third topical composition. So that affords some protection as well. Um, the reality is, and this might be just because I'm a third time founder, so I like don't freak out as much about competition and people stealing things and, and whatnot else. Like this is a huge category. We've created a new subcategory within it, this idea of self-activated clinical skincare. I actually welcome people to enter that arena, right? It, it means that we're going to get so better products out there. Uh, consumers are going to get like actual efficacy and, and there's room for a number of different brands, but also specifically different product types uh, within that category. And it, I mean, I think Les makes an interesting point that you see a lot when you're looking at potentially investing in companies, which is founders a lot of times are very, first time founders a lot of times are very nervous about somebody stealing their idea. And in re I think in reality, almost never does that become the, the, like, does that become a real issue for you? If you have a, if you, if you're creating a product that's in a market that is, you know, a winner take all market and you have no defensibility you have probably a fundamental issue that you have to think about in your in your business. In Liz's category, it's a massive category. It's not a winner-take-all category. It will never be a winner-take-all category. No, look at us. We just started a women's fashion brand. I mean, we ain't, we're not reinventing the wheel with jeans, but guess what? People are buying our fucking right. jeans. So, so what's, <laughs> like, and what's the key? The key is build a great brand yeah. and go as fast as you reasonably can Absolutely. to do that and create, you know, just build a base of customers that love you. And if yeah. you do that, somebody stealing your idea will have just less impact Overall. I love you saying you welcome it because then it just means that this category is growing and that customers are going to be hip to guys. You got to pay attention to efficacy because right now efficacy is just not, it's very niche. Like it, people just, and we knew that, right? We were like, we are going to have to educate, educate, educate. Most consumers in this country and definitely globally don't have any clue that the shit they're putting on their face doesn't work because it is not effective. Yeah. And that's that's a longer path road, right? Yeah. And so when we think about the trajectory of the business, we're you know we're really on day one at this point. Let's be honest. Uh, and it is it is a huge education shift to you know create a rethinking of this category, right? It'll take time, um, but the more people who are talking about it and focused on it, uh, the better. And and Phil, to your point, it is a huge market, but there are some like standout like bestsellers out there that have just, you know, really had lasting and staying power. Um, and so we hope to be that brand and that product within this subcategory for sure. Liz, what sense. was the fundraising process like? So you had, at what point did you raise money? Did you have uh, a product? It Was it an idea? Did you have the device? Was it an idea? Like how, at what point do you go and like, you know? Yeah. Well, so, you know, unlike an indie, a regular sort of indie beauty brand that needs very little capital to get started, they can pull down a library formulation and stock packaging and not do clinical testing and slap a label on it and just launch within like three months. We actually were going to have to spend a good amount of CapEx to do the R&D, but also to do the tooling and everything else. So I knew I needed to raise funds early. Um, I actually bootstrapped it myself for about a year and a half, just in the research phase, quite frankly, just to make sure that I knew there was a path to a solution that I was excited about and that I wanted to commit to doing this, right, um, before going and getting external dollars. So we raised um, pre-launch, pre-product, 
um, which is unbelievable and an extremely wildly flattering from my perspective that so many incredible investors believed in the idea uh, and believed in sort of the early MVP proof points that we had put together at that point. Uh, and that and that everyone was committed to this being a longer path, right? It takes three years to create this um, and to get it out to market. And it's going to take another five years and then another five years. And there's going to be milestones along the way. So incredible partners, including yourselves, um, just believing in me and believing in the premise. I love to like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a handful of your investors or a few are like women you went to college with. And we we were just talking to the 10 beauty guys. And I was saying to them, I always say to my daughters when they're like, do I have to go to college? I'm like, yeah, okay. It's not like going to college, it, it, what you're going to major in might be the job you, you know, the occupation you go into, but you're going to meet your tribe. You're going to meet the people you start companies with or that you, you're going to create these relationships. I look at college as really like building relationships and you built so many, didn't you go to Harvard? I did. Yes. God, you went to Harvard. Ugh. You look like that and you went to Harvard. <laughs> wow. It's a lot to take here. That's not a real feminist thing to say, is it? <laughs> oh, well. Um, okay. What did you major in at Harvard? Yeah. Uh, well, so when I entered college, I thought I would be on the science track because that's what I had been fascinated by in high school. Um, but it's such a big school that all of the science classes, at least for your first year, were taught by like TAs. So it just sort of felt like not a great experience or like not really like utilizing the full like academic excitement um, of the university. So I ended up switching to history um, at the end of my first year, uh, which, you know, I've always had an interest in storytelling and understanding why we've done the way we've done things um, and correlations, et cetera. Uh, and so, yeah, I was a history major through college and that gave me sort of insights into like the women's movement in the U.S. Uh, in the 60s. That was the area of focus that I uh, was most focused on. Uh, and then, of course, as a history major in good standing at a good school, uh, I sort of thought I would do the next logical thing, which is to go to law school. Right. And that's the typical path. Uh, and so. I took the LSATs, I applied to law school, and then randomly fell into an opportunity to start a business uh, with a good friend in the clothing space, actually, uh, and fell ass backwards, quite frankly, into business and never looked back. I love that. You know the problem with majoring in history? What? There's no future in it. <laughs> How long but have you patterns, been like wanting patterns. to say this? Oh, joke. as soon as she brought up history, I was like, "Oh, I've got this. Is where this is where I shine. This such is such a dad. My lane in this podcast. Phil is such a dad. Such a dad. I love you're such a venture capitalist dad. Uh, that's, uh, that's a compliment. You got to know your lanes. You got to know your lane. Um, I love that though. I love that that you just were like, you know what? I'm supposed to be doing this, but this feels right. It was your gut. It was your intuition. You took the opportunity. You said yes. You were probably like, "Am I qualified? I don't know." And I love that. And I love that for our girls. And it's such a good message as moms to, to like nurture those, those paths and those pivots. And I know pivot is such an overused word right now. And I'm frankly so sick and tired of hearing it, but it's important. Super important. And, and I will say, I mean, initially my parents were kind of like, what are you doing? Like you got into law school and you're not doing that. Like you're doing this random women's clothing business. Like uh, but they did get on board, you know, a few months later, which is great. Um, and I'm glad that they did. Right. And so I think that's like a good lesson, too, for parents um, to understand that some of these opportunities, like even if it fails, even if it doesn't go anywhere, like 
you're young, you've got time to make those moves. And you just learn so much by just jumping off the cliff and doing. It's also an interesting point, which is, and my wife and I talk about this all the time, like raising kids, a very hard job, obviously in many ways, and they go to school and they learn things at school and those are all well and good. But if they can come out of school with self-confidence, the, the confidence that they can tackle problems, Hell like yeah. I can't imagine a better, you know, a better skill set to have as totally. you go after life. Because it's sure. like, you know, you major in history, you have a chance to go to law school, but you know, you know, you know yourself well enough to know that that's not the path you want to go. And you're confident enough in yourself to say, I want to go this different path and I can no do it. No life that we research or that we interview or that we're fascinated with is a straight line. No, none of the interesting ones are a straight line, right? Yeah. We have to go back to fundraising because my audience gets really mad. I ask questions and then I interrupt and then we never go back to it and it pisses them off, which I understand. Um, Okay, fundraising process. You don't have to be like too specific, as specific as you want, but like, who do you call first? Like, who do you call for money first? Yeah, Um, well, as a multi-time founder, I feel like I'm in a unique position and I just want to recognize that because it's not the same path for everyone, for sure. Um, but I called my previous investors from my last business, right? right? Um, and got their advice, got introductions through them to other folks. I called female founders uh, in my network, uh, my, my friends from school who all started really great companies. They introduced me to people. Um, and then, of course, I'm also actually a seed investor myself as part of a small fund. So my partners over there were really helpful. Um, and so it's really a very unfair advantage, I would say, uh, versus the average first time founder kind of breaking into this yeah. just that I had already done it, um, and, and had a good network there. Now, having said that, uh, in that round, we took on about probably 50% were from people I had already known. And by the way, I was raising in the middle of COVID too. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, investors were a little less excited to invest in founders they had never met before, right? So that was, you know, good time, good place, um, good context. Uh, but about 50% of our investors were new people, not not people I had known previously, but people who had, you know, I'd been introduced to through various means, including yourselves, right? Um, and so just a really interesting time to talk to new folks uh, remotely uh, and to talk about this loony idea, which, you know, was certainly more than just a sketch on paper, but but certainly was not tactile or had come to light. I mean, I think when we met, we didn't even have a brand name yet. We certainly didn't. <laughs> no, we first, were weighing in on right? what we wanted it to be. Yeah. We so, yeah. So it was super, super early. Uh, and, and again, just incredible to have that support at that stage. I think, you, sorry to interrupt. Fine. Can you talk about how you came up with the name Exponent? Yes. Uh, so we knew that we wanted something that noted this like powerful performance uh, and of course, exponent is, you know, a mathematical term and it means to the power of. Uh, it's also sort of a reference to the fact that ours are two-part products, right? So the powder is really kind of the exponential effect on top of the hyaluronic. And then Sarah hates our brand color, red. But Sarah, red is a very powerful, active color. Um, and so... Uh, that's why we chose that. It's not directed towards you. It's it, it, know, like at favorite daughter, like whenever like red, I'm like, guys, uh, like enough with the red. I Something must have, you know, my mom must have be wear, like she was wearing like a red shirt when she like spanked me or something. I, I don't know. There's something I'm sure that we can, you know, trace back. But I think the takeaway with just around the fundraising conversation is 
And for people listening, it's really hard to put yourself out there, but it's a real reminder. People's instincts are to help. When people email me asking for an introduction or advice or this, I'm excited to respond. Like my instinct and most people, unless you're a terrible person, people want to be of service and people want to be the person that guides and helps and mentors. So I think it's really hard to put yourself out there, but if you have an idea, if you're looking at starting something, if you need to raise money, like put yourself out there. It's such a good reminder that it's okay to do it and to not be embarrassed or, you know, I don't know, like especially women, I think have so many um, hangups around money and it's, it's, it's hard to do. Whereas men are sort of just, they have less, not ego around it, but they're more just like, they just go for it in a different way. And I don't want to stereotype, not all women, not all men, but we have a predominantly female audience. And it's just a reminder, like, just fucking go for it. Send a hundred emails to everyone you know. If you have any great ideas or great ideas for intros, like, think of me. Like, that endears you, I think, to people. I think that's absolutely right. And I think some of my favorite early stage investors have really dedicated themselves to particularly looking at female-founded companies for that reason, um, including our fund, uh, which exclusively uh, funds female-founded businesses. And it's one of my favorite things because you meet this most incredible entrepreneurs with these crazy innovative ideas. At the end of the day, you know whether or not you have that, that network to begin with or not, if you have a fucking great idea, like you're going to get funded, right? And to your point, Sarah, the best investors are looking for that idea. And it doesn't matter if it came through warm, cold intros, anything else. Our job as investors is to put money to work, right? So um, definitely don't be shy. Definitely advocate for yourself and, and pitch anyone who will listen. That's great advice. Can you talk uh, just for a minute about, I mean, you obviously went, you you came about a bunch of challenges as you were building this. You overcame, obviously, many of those challenges. Talk about a no shit moment you had building this company. Like you, you- Oh, like, oh shit bad or oh shit good? Oh shit bad. Oh shit bad. Like, I mean, we could talk about oh shit good, but I'm curious to know, you know, as like, did you have a day where you're like, this is just not gonna work? Like something, this this thing is not gonna work. And then obviously you've overcome that, but I would love to hear a little bit more about uh, an oh shit moment that you had. A red flag, not a green flag. Uh, so many oh shit moments, right? Like every day is a little bit of a roller coaster where it's like you're putting out fires, you're worried about like high level strategic stuff. Uh, maybe a glimmer of hope comes in because you get like one good consumer review that like puts a smile on your face and that like makes it all worth it, right? Um, but it's just crazed. Or maybe um, Kim it, Kardashian posting your product. Yes, exactly, exactly. And my little social media manager running into our meeting being like, holy shit. <laughs> she was so excited. Um, Yeah, I think that the biggest turning point for me was I mentioned that we did 50 iterations on the formulas. We did about 30 iterations on the packaging prototype. And, you know, it wasn't, it was like for every two things we fixed, another thing would break, right? Um, And so two steps forward, one step back. Uh, And there was a point where we literally thought it just wasn't going to work. These things were going to like interact with each other in a weird way or, wasn't going to be able to survive a bathroom environment. Powders are very fragile, right? Um, and 
our factory was actually on uh, like vacation at the time. And so it was this like three week period of not being able to get the answers that I needed to know whether it was yes or no. So imagine sitting there with that albatross around your neck and that gray cloud for three weeks. And it's the only thing you can think about. Your team is asking you to make decisions about this, that, and the other thing that you know are like completely not important in the grand scheme of things if this can't happen, right? You have zero control over getting to an answer fast. You're just sitting there waiting. Um, and it was super dark days and very intense. Plus, uh, you know, as I said, I'm multi-time founder. This is my third business, but this is my first business as a solo founder. And it was in that moment that like, you realize the co-founder relationship is so important to your emotional uh, sanctity when you're on this journey. Um, I'm very fortunate that my prior co-founder from Manicube Days and I are super, super close. She's actually a solo founder of a new business now as well. So we do like every three weeks kind of a check-in and I relied on her a lot during that period. What would you say is like, and maybe this is a stupid question, but what would be like as a founder of a skincare company, what would be like the most exciting thing to happen? Like what is like one thing where you're like, oh my God, wouldn't it be cool if? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, uh, it would be so cool if we like, I don't know, cracked into some awesome new distribution channel or uh, Sephora. Hello. Yeah. Sephora. <laughs> if you don't exactly. jump on this train, I don't know what to tell you. Totally. Yeah. And so we are, you know, currently very much focused on, you know, what the right retail partner for us uh, will be in the short term and of course in the medium term. And uh, so that's the main thing that we're, we're, we're focusing on right now. That would be great. Um, honestly, the consumer reviews and talking mm-hmm. to customers, I, I still do three customer interviews a week. Um, it's my favorite thing to do um, just to get the feedback, et cetera. Um, and so I know one day will be too big. I probably won't be able to do that, but right now I can. Um, and it's really kind of what propels me forward. Um, and then the last thing that just gets me so excited is creating shit, right? That's what I do. Um, and so if you could see my bathroom right now, it's like a chemistry lab with all these new products that we're working it's on. Breaking bad in her, just, uh, in her bathroom. Yeah. Right it's now. so fun. I just sent um, a sample of something that I unfortunately can't talk about broadly to a dermatologist to test. And he said, it's that be- it's performing better than the current, like leading brand on the market that he's obsessed with. So, um, I'm, I'm excited about that as well. That's great. Um, where can people go to find out more about Exponent? Yes, come visit us at exponentbeauty.com. And um, that is our store. That is our site. Uh, we obviously have our products on that site, but we also have incredible research and education uh, in our in our blog library, uh, in our research library. And so even just come and like learn uh, and understand what's going on in these ingredients and um, just make you a smarter consumer across the board. Or just check out those before and after photos. Yes. I'm see the before and after. You know what's really fucked up is a lot of, and this goes back to regulation, a lot of beauty brands like doctor their before and after photos. I think that is so, how is that allowed? How is that not regulated? Like, and you've it, been like exponent, you go on their site. These are not doctored photos. These are real life, unfiltered photos. But a lot of these beauty brands, they are doctored. I think that's so crazy. That's allowed. Yeah. And obviously we're living in an environment where like, you know, consumers are skeptical of surface level photography for obvious reasons. 
you know, the, the fix from our standpoint was actually to invest in subsurface level imaging. So using a machine that actually kind of takes a heat map of various levels of the dermis to show those before and afters. And we've seen consumers really appreciate that because it's like a very obvious, you know, indication of change. It can't be doctored or anything else. Um, and then I think what I would say as well, again, if exponent is for you, great. I hope it is. If it's not, my goal is to make sure that you're making smart choices when you're buying skincare products. And so on the exponent website, under the standard, you can find our list of 82 products out of 500 that we researched that meet our standard for efficacy. Um, and you can figure out how to shop from there. We don't make any money on any of that. Love it. Awesome. All right, well, this was great. Liz, I'm so excited for more people to find Exponent and um, fall in love with it the way that Aaron and I have, which is why we um, you know, wanted to be part of it. Yeah. Well, thank you again. It's been so awesome working with you on this, like from the very beginning. Uh, and you've really put your stamp across the board and you're a great evangelist. And so we love having you in our court. Us too. Thank you, Liz. All right, Liz. Bye, Phil. Bye, Sarah. Thank, thank you for you. taking Have the time. Bye. Bye. If you like this podcast, leave a rating and review. This podcast is executive produced by... Can you not use that voice? I'm sorry, I'm trying to sound... Yeah, but you don't need to make it sexy. This podcast is executive produced Just by... Be, can you, do you have a normal voice? Yeah. Aaron Foster, Sarah Foster, and Allison Bresnick. Okay, I'll take over. Our, Our associate, associate producer is Montana McBurney. Our audio engineer is Josh Windish. This show is hosted by Simplecast. See, that didn't sound nice. That sounded great. 